Hello, I'm Daryl Root, and this is Camp Ridger's News Folder 19 podcast. I may have never won the voice, but I am the voice. Because there's no competition on this show, so I have to be the voice. Don't forget to visit CampRidger.net for seasonings that taste great and have a great price to match. All seasonings are hand-blended in small batches and come salt-free so you can salt to your taste, not that which the manufacturer thinks you should like. That's CampRidger.net for great seasonings. With that, let's get right into the stories. Number one. Consumer Reports has found concerning levels of lead and cadmium in one-third of its various chocolate products it tested recently and called on Hershey to reduce the amounts of heavy metals in its chocolate. The nonprofit consumer group said 16 of the 48 products from various manufacturers that scientists tested contained potentially harmful levels of lead cadmium or both if you eat chocolate pay attention to the next paragraph this upcoming one consumer reports tested products found to contain excessive metal content include a dark chocolate bar and a hot chocolate mix from walmart cocoa powder from hershey's and droste semi-sweet chocolate chips from target and hot chocolate mixes from Trader Joe's, Nestle, and Starbucks. Only milk chocolate bars, which have fewer cocoa solids, were found not to contain excessive metal content. If you have ever met me, you can probably guess I like my chocolate chip cookies, as I assume most of you do. Consumer reports, as well as health experts, have long said that long-term exposure to the metals can result in nervous system problems, immune system suppression, and kidney damage, with greater damage to pregnant women and young children, and I should say that's the potential for damage. For the record, though, the FDA considers chocolate a minor source of exposure to lead and cadmium, but that manufacturers and processors remain responsible for ensuring their food safety. Last week's study followed Consumer Reports' findings in December of last year that 23 of 28 tested dark chocolate bars contained excessive lead or cadmium, including Hershey products sold under its own brand and the Lily's and Sharfin Burger brands, which I covered in a previous podcast. I believe I did that last December. In March, Hershey Chief Financial Officer Stephen Voskel said his company was looking to reduce levels of lead and cadmium, saying the metals are elements in soil that can occur naturally in a chocolate product. So I looked it up. And according to Rutgers University, lead is a naturally occurring element found in soils at low concentrations. Elevated levels of lead are usually due to contamination. 
Living systems have no known biological use for lead, and exposure to elevated concentrations of lead can cause human health problems. So, barring contamination where cocoa is grown, I don't see what Hershey or any other chocolate company can do about it if it's naturally occurring. A spokesman for the confection industry stated, quote, Chocolate and cocoa are safe to eat and can be enjoyed as treats as they have for centuries. So yes, it's fine to have chocolate, just don't have an overabundance of it. Number two, this is a story on Israel. Gaza needs Billions of dollars in international economic aid to compensate for years of Israeli and Egyptian restrictions that have stifled Palestine's economy and curbed its development, according to the United Nations trade body. In its report on the economic development of the occupied, I repeat, occupied, did you hear me? Occupied Palestinian territory. Israel is responsible for the dire economic conditions of Gaza. I have been saying this all year. Quote, donors and the international community need to extend significant economic aid to repair the extensive damage Gaza has experienced under prolonged Israeli restrictions, closures, and frequent military operations, which has stifled the economy and decimated infrastructure, unquote. The report also stated, quote, While donor aid is important to assist the people of Gaza, it should not be viewed as a substitute for ending the restrictions and closures and calling on Israel and all parties to bear their responsibilities on under international law, but it is going to be in the billions of dollars, unquote. I, for one, will continue to defy the blind eyes and closed minds of Americans. Israel is as much a terrorist nation as the rest of the Middle East. Get off your Muslim-hating high horse and pay attention to what really happens over there. Netanyahu isn't too many steps away from being a Hitler or just as bad 19th century white Americans who tried to wipe out the America's indigenous population. Israel is just a lot better at hiding their genocide. Aid to Palestine has shrunk from $2 billion in 2008 down to $550 million in 2022. Nearly half of Gaza's population is unemployed. More than half live in poverty. Although workers in Gaza have been allowed access to the job market in Israel for the first time in recent years, the number of permits issued equals a mere 1% of the employed workers in Gaza. And remember, only half of them are employed, so that works out to one half of 1%. The report, as well as me, accuses border closures and repeated military operations that have set in motion a vicious cycle of economic and institutional collapse that has rendered Gaza a case of development in reverse. Let me repeat that, development in reverse. 
the impact is not confined to the short term. Indirect and long-term effects will reverberate through future generations. Number three. This story involves the mass shooting last week in Maine. And, as is my usual, I will not be using the shooter's name, as I prefer not to give shooters more fame. Supposedly, the gun that investigators believe the shooter used to carry out the massacre was purchased illegally just days before he was hospitalized in order to undergo a psychiatric evaluation in July. At one point in mid-July, the shooter told Army personnel at Camp Smith that he had been hearing voices and had thoughts about hurting other soldiers. Well, there is warnings number one and two. Just like many other mass shootings, the signs existed and they were ignored. A federal law enforcement source stated the Army gave the shooter a command referral to seek treatment after his admissions. He was then transported to nearby Keller Army Community Hospital at the United States Military Academy for medical evaluation after Army Reserve officials reported his behaving erratically. And since I wrote this up, I heard he was there for two weeks, but I didn't hear whether there were any recommendations or not. The shooter's encounters with New York State Police and his National Guard superiors occurred just 10 days after Card had purchased a high-powered rifle at a main gun store, according to law enforcement sources. The rifle was a Ruger SFAR chambered for high-powered 308 ammunition, supposedly more powerful than the regular ammunition carried in the rifles of soldiers and SWAT teams. In the same July purchase, along with the rifle, sources say the shooter also bought a Beretta 92F 9mm semi-automatic pistol. That is the standard pistol of the U.S. military. This brings up the whole red flag, yellow flag debate. Red flag laws, no matter what any judge may say, in my opinion, is unconstitutional. They deny a person their rights without due process of the law. Yellow flag laws aren't much better, as it only takes a single medical expert to declare the person as a danger to himself or others. That is arguably questionable, as a single medical expert is not a court decision. But again, like all other gun laws, they are totally useless if they are not enforced. Had the shooter committed his crime days after his diagnosis following, days after his gun purchase, I could see him slipping through the cracks. Documentation can take time. However, this was months later. He had heard voices, and I'm assuming not from God, and had thoughts of hurting other soldiers. This was definite. It existed for a while. He should have been nabbed. We don't need more gun laws because the thousands that already exist throughout the 50 states and D.C. don't work. If you want to lessen mass shootings, enforce the laws already on the books. Quit protesting for new gun laws. Protest they force the ones that already exist. With that, it's time for my usual break. Visit 
newsfolder19.com. There are links on there to support this show. Buy me a coffee. There's blogs on there. You can get the latest episode of the podcast and a whole variety of other things. Just go to newsfolder19.com. Also, I want to give my shout out to Damheim, who provides the music at the beginning and the end of the show. With that, let's get into the last two stories. Number four. A little more than a year after announcing an ambitious plan to co-develop a lineup of affordable electric vehicles, General Motors and Honda are scrapping the deal, or at least the idea of a cheap one. Announced in April of last year, the plan was to build a series of affordable EVs based on GM's Ultium brand battery packs. GM and Honda said they expected to begin production of millions of these affordable EVs by 2027. However, a Honda CEO recently stated, quote, After studying this for a year, we decided that this would be difficult as a business. So at the moment, we are ending development of an affordable EV. Yet Biden thinks these things are going to go mainstream, I tell you. What can you say? GM spokesman Sanaz Marble confirmed the development by saying, quote, Last year, we began working on an affordable EV program for global markets, which was slated for introduction in 2027. After extensive studies and analysis, we have come to a mutual decision to discontinue the program, unquote. Honda is also an investor in Cruise, the driverless car operator that is wholly a wholly owned subsidiary of GM. However, once again, the California Department of Motor Vehicles last week suspended Cruise's deployment and testing permits for autonomous vehicles effective immediately, and the rest of the country has now done so too. The news follows a barrage of safety concerns and incidents since Cruise received approval in August for round-the-clock robo-taxi service in San Francisco. How many times have I said EVs will not be mainstream, self-driving cars will not be mainstream? I stand by what I believe. The decision to scrap plans for the more affordable EVs is sure to deepen worries about the future of the EV. Something like I just said, I have stated since the beginning of the EV freak show. They are not carbon free. While EVs may be selling, there is not enough demand to make it a profitable entity or meet Biden's idiotic zero carbon fallacy. Ford is temporarily cutting one of three shifts at the factory that builds the electric F-150 Lightning. GM is also delaying the production of EV versions of the Equinox, Silverado, and GMC Sierra Denali. The new GM Honda EVs were supposed to be priced below the proposed $30,000 price tag of the 2024 Chevy Equinox EV. For the record... Average sale price of an EV is still higher than the average gas-powered vehicle, but it is slowly dropping. However, that's almost entirely thanks to Tesla price cuts. 
In August of 2023, the price fell by $257 to $53,376, which at 5.5% over a 60-month car loan would be a little over $1,000 a month. How can the average person afford that? The answer is simple. They can't. And finally, number five, the Employee Retention Tax Credit. Part of Biden's American Rescue Plan Act is a refundable payroll tax credit equivalent to a cash payment of up to $26,000 per employee for businesses and nonprofits with significant pandemic-related revenue declines or shuttered by government orders, all as a result of COVID. However, since passage, the final cost of the credit has ballooned to more than $230 billion from the originally estimated $77 billion, or three times as much. Two-thirds of that cost is likely a windfall to business owners and tax preparers, not money that actually kept companies from going out of business or saved employee jobs. In other words, it didn't get to where it was supposed to. Since then, in-depth reporting, a congressional hearing, and the IRS have highlighted the many problems with the program. In September, the IRS announced it would stop processing new ERTC claims and increase audits, something that should have happened two years ago. So once again, we have a supposed well-intentioned government program being used to defraud the government at the expense of everyday taxpayers like you, your family, and your friends. While it's easy to find some stories of businesses that actually needed ERTC funds to stay open, the Wall Street Journal and others have found that the majority of the ERTC spending looks to have been a windfall to businesses that did not need the funds to retain employees through the pandemic. Thousands of businesses simply receive payments that are icing on the cake, as one accountant put it. Cash they can claim because they qualify, as opposed to being because they needed the cash to retain employees. So once again, people, businesses, mooching off the taxpayer-funded government, be it fraudulently or just because we can. Have we no shame in this country? For many of us, the answer is no. This is how your government works, people, or perhaps the word should be operates, because government doesn't work. It only takes your money to the tune of $33 trillion of debt, money that when the devil wants it will destroy the American economy, and your children and your grandchildren will blame you for their poverty, for voting these idiots into office. With that, let's call it another podcast. You know the mantra. Question authority and always be free.